Amen. What an appropriate hymn to begin our message today. I have a rather lengthy passage to read, so I ask that, as you are able, remain standing for the honor of the reading of God's Word. Open your copy of the Word if you have it with you. We'll begin reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, at verse 31. Hear now the Word of God. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father to the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, 
You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Our gracious, good, all-wise and merciful Father, how wonderful and profound are the truths revealed in the words of Scripture. As we come to your word, we acknowledge our inadequacy and have a great sense of our need of you. We ask, therefore, that you would grant your Holy Spirit to illumine and apply that which you would have us to see and understand this day. Make our hearts tender and receptive to your truths and grow us in our capacity to comprehend both the person of Christ and our utter dependence upon him. For it is in his perfect and holy name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Lord willing, this message marks the beginning of a series of messages on the I am's of Jesus found in John's gospel. It is my sincere hope and prayer that as we consider how Jesus described and defined himself, that we would grow in our understanding, grow in our conviction, grow in our trust and reliance upon him so that we will ultimately grow in our capacity to worship Christ. Said another way, as we consider more deeply who Christ is, we lay the foundation for faith, for greater faith, for resilient faith. A resilient faith that carries us through the trials of life and ultimately delivers us into the presence of Him in whom our faith is placed. Before we get to the text and, and work our way through what we just read, it is probably prudent and helpful to take a moment and consider at a very high level, a very high level, um, not a bird's eye view, not even a 30,000 foot level, but perhaps, as Larry might say, from a geosynchronous orbit of maybe 22,000 miles. We'll, we'll consider um, John's gospel very briefly, and we'll attempt to do this by trying to answer a couple of questions. Why was John's gospel written, and how is it different from the other gospels? So as we try to answer that first question, why was the gospel written? We don't have to work very hard to find the answer. As John provides the answer at the end of chapter 20, where we read, beginning at verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life, In his name. Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John records events and words that actually happened. They are true. And they are true so that we may believe and have life in Christ. This is why this is such a beloved gospel. This is a gospel that many who claim to have a favorite book in the Bible claim the gospel of John is their favorite one. 
This is why when you survey pastors and evangelists and ask them as they're talking to new converts or those who are prospective converts, where do you direct them in God's word? They most often answer to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we find a pattern for evangelism. We find that Jesus interacts with different people quite differently. In accomplishing his end, John highlights and brings to the fore the glory and majesty of Christ. He makes very clear those doctrines which touch God's sovereignty, his sovereignty overall, including our salvation. It may be said that we can find nowhere else in Scripture a higher vision of the Lord Jesus Christ than in John's Gospel. As we consider the I Am statements of Jesus, let us purpose together to see more clearly the, clearly the glory of the risen Savior and believe that He is who He claimed to be. Let us join with John Owen in his sentiment that he wrote in his meditations on the discourses of the glory of Christ in His person, office, and grace. And don't you love the Puritans? The titles are sometimes longer than our prayers and more glorious. But he writes, The revelation made of Christ in the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, and more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole creation and the just comprehension of it, if attainable, can contain or afford. Without the knowledge hereof, the mind of man, however priding itself in other inventions and discoveries, is wrapped up in darkness and confusion. This, therefore, deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our most, uttermost diligence in them. For if our future blessedness shall consist in being where He is and beholding of His glory, what better preparation can there be for it than a constant previous contemplation of that glory in the revelation that is made in the gospel unto this very end, that by a view of it, we may be gradually transformed into that same glory, end quote. So how does John's gospel differ from the other three gospels? I think the answer to this question is tied to the answer to the previous question. As you read the gospel and play, pay close attention to the details, you'll begin to notice a particular set of words that form the underlying structure. And this can be seen as perhaps a courtroom or trial narrative, testimony, testify, witness, truth, certified, believed, and accused, to list but a few. Jesus, who was crucified by the Jews, is here being presented and defended as who he truly is, God incarnate. John, in a certain sense, plays the role of an excellent defense attorney so that we might see him and know him and believe the witness given of him and thereby have life in him. In the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see a focus on the kingdom of God, whereas in John we see more of a focus on the person of Christ. In the synoptics, we read of the transfiguration of Jesus birth and baptism, whereas in John we do not. There is no account of the transfiguration, no record of the institution of the Lord's Supper, 
No report of Jesus casting out demons or even a mention of his temptations. John gives us more of the mystery, whereas the synoptics give us more of the history. In the synoptics, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? Whereas in John, Jesus tells us who he is. And to be sure, these are not contradictory, but rather complementary perspectives. The differences are more a matter of emphasis than of substance. And so, with this overly brief introduction, let us now turn our attention to the text of Scripture presently under consideration and enter into the narrative. The I am statement of Jesus, which is the focus of this message, is found in verse 58, and we read, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Properly or formally speaking, there are seven I am statements found in John. They are, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the sheep gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the true vine. And yet here is this eighth I am statement that's not in that list. But I've chosen to begin this series with this other I am statement because it carries a particular weight and will therefore hopefully give greater understanding to the tremendous import of the seven I am's that we will cover in future messages. Going back now to the beginning of our text, we enter into the discourse that leads up to his statement with regard to Abraham. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here Jesus is talking to the Jews in the temple, and not just any Jews, but this group also included a group who had apparently begun to believe his teaching. And he tells them this profound truth. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide, if you continue in his word, you are a true disciple. A true disciple cannot, must not, flippantly, or casually depend upon the words of Christ. To do so would be insincere, and double-minded, and unstable. A true disciple consistently professes his need for Christ, sitting at his feet and learning from his teaching what are the most pleasing and palatable things and disregards the others. The result of this abiding in his word, he tells the Jews, is that they shall know the truth. And this truth will make them free. This is a truth that applies not only to these Jews, but to all who would be his true disciples. As we are told in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And this is exactly the effect that his words had. 
So some of the Jews responded, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? So let us not make the mistake of reading this as a calm, benign inquiry from the Jews. No, this is a prideful welling up of the false assurance they had in being descendants of Abraham. What is this bondage you speak of? We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that we will be made free? Are you saying that we are slaves or prisoners? Here we see how Abraham enters into the dialogue with the Jews. It was common in that day, and I I assume today, even for the Orthodox Jew, to claim Father Abraham gives them a birthright entrance into the kingdom of God. But this is not the case, and so Paul clearly teaches us in the second chapter of his letter to the Romans that he who is not a Jew, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. The ability to trace your lineage back to Abraham does not guarantee that you are a recipient of the hope that Abraham had. And this problem exists and persists in the church today, does it not? How many of us have heard a fellow churchgoer look to some outward sign as the ground of their salvation? Having walked the aisle, having thrown that pine cone into the fire, having said the sinner's prayer, possessing a membership in a particular church, and yet they manifest no evidence of a repentant heart or fruit of the Spirit. No. We are justified by faith, a faith that is a gift from God, a faith that has Christ as its object, a living faith that works inwardly but shows itself outwardly in good fruit, as the Spirit is active, working in us sanctification, working sanctification in the lives of all of God's people. Jesus now continues and defines the slavery and bondage that he is referring to. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is the big problem, isn't it? In our fallen condition, we are in bondage to sin. But at this point, we need to be careful in our understanding and in the definition of terms. We affirm God's sovereignty over all things. We affirm that He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. We affirm that he chose those who would be saved in Christ before the foundation of the world. We also affirm that we are volitional creatures who have free wills. Yes, I said free will. We are free to choose. Indeed, we cannot but choose that which we most desire at any moment in time. We are not puppets nor are we coerced into every choice that we make in every moment of each day. 
we exercise that free will continually. And that is why we have a sin problem. In our fallen condition, the thoughts of our hearts are wicked continually. We are dead in our sin and trespasses, walking according to the course of this world, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we are in bondage to sin. And this is the bondage that Christ is speaking of. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved us, when we were yet dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, who has made us free. And so we are free indeed. Thanks be to God. Amen? So Jesus continues, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And with these words, these words of Jesus, the distinction becomes clear. Jesus has seen the father, and his word is that word which his father has given him. Jesus speaks what he has seen with his father. The unbelieving Jews who are challenging him, who are seeking to kill him, also do what they have seen with their father. And so, still not understanding, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. So now these Jews are beginning to track just a little bit more with what Jesus is saying. And they respond, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Upping the stakes as it were, they changed their claim from Abraham to God. As their father. And this opens the door for Jesus. To be perfectly plain. Jesus said to them. If God were your father. You would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able. To listen to my word. You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 
apart from the regenerating grace of God in our lives, making us alive in Christ, we can't. We are unable, unable to hear His voice or see His truth. Our spiritual ears are plugged and our spiritual eyes are blinded. God must enable our hearing and seeing. As we read just a couple of weeks ago in Matthew, this is the reason that Jesus spoke in parables, so that in hearing they do not hear, and in seeing they do not see, nor do they understand. To the unsaved person, the truth of God is utter foolishness. And in fact, the truth is as a lie to them. For we read in Romans 1, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. This is what we do in our fallen state. These are the things fallen man sees and hears from his father, the devil, the father of lies. Never say, nor entertain someone who says, the devil made me do it. Because the unsaved person does exactly what they want to do and not under any compulsion. As Jesus reveals with greater clarity the ultimate truth to the unbelieving Jews here in this narrative, they in turn stop engaging in argument and turn to ad hominem personal attacks. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? But hearing this, Jesus doesn't soften the truth. But he rather leans right in. And he answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Never see death. Never die. Now the foolishness is compounded to those without ears to hear. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? There it is. There is the question that must be answered with ultimate conviction and clarity. This is the question that we must ask of ourselves. This is the question that we will seek to answer with greater clarity through this series of messages. And so the debate approaches the climax. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And the answer to this final question leads to the final answer from our Lord. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
Before Abraham was, I am. And with these words, this is a truth. A truth that the Jews simply could not handle nor bear. This is the truth that brought their rage to a head and revealed that they were truly of their father, the devil. And so they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple and going through the midst of them, passed by. So the question is, why was this truth so unbearable? Jesus had already called them sinners and slaves to sin. He has said that they were not children of God, but the children of the evil one. And yet it wasn't until he said, before Abraham was, I am, that they took up stones. While they did not know Jesus as Messiah, they certainly understood his point. They were steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that in making that statement, Jesus was claiming to be God. This is made even more clear if we look at the Greek rendered in English as I am. And we see that I am is not a single verb, but rather two verbs in the Greek. Normally, in the Greek, when you wish to say I am, you might choose ego, E-G-O, for your verb. But here, there is something unusual going on. Jesus uses two verbs. Ego, imi, E-I-M-I. Two verbs that mean I am. I am, I am, he essentially says. And so, for the Jews, Jesus, Jesus is speaking in Greek, remember. The Jews would know and identify immediately what he is saying. He's identifying himself as God, for they were familiar with the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And if we turn our attention to Exodus 3, verse 14, which was including in our reading from the Old Testament earlier, we read, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so it's, it's clear. You've guessed it. The Septuagint renders these self-identifying words of God in the Greek as ego, I me. Thus it rang perfectly clear to the Jews he was speaking to in the Greek that he was identifying himself as God. And so they saw this as blasphemy and they took up stones to kill him. But he hid himself and passed through. It wasn't yet his time. We need to remember, therefore, as you well know, but we always need to remember that Jesus, Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is the Son of man. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is Master. He is Son of David. He is the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the Logos, the Word. He is Emmanuel. He is the Bridegroom, the Head of the Church. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, 
and by him all things were made. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the great I Am. And so we come to our exhortation. What now do we do with these words? What is it that we need to hear? What is our weakness? Even as believers, we struggle to fully apprehend what Jesus is telling us here. We may, in our minds, assent to this, but do we believe it? Do we act it out in our day-to-day conversations? So if there is any practical Gnosticism lurking in our minds or hearts, declaring that material things are evil and only that which is spiritual is good, we need to repent of that error now. If we somehow find the mystery of the Trinity so far beyond our embrace that we end up thinking as practical Arians, not seeing Jesus as God, but as a created by God, we must repent of that error as well. If we are placing our confidence in anything but the finished work of Christ, we must repent and believe the gospel. This is the glorious truth that Christ reveals in the I Am declarations. This is the glorious truth that we need to embrace more fully, more completely, with not only our minds but with our hearts. And we must do it because it is true. Our merciful and glorious Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you have revealed yourself and your word and called us into your family and in Christ adopted us to be your own dear children. We're thankful that before the foundation of the world, you knew us and chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him in love. We are thankful we can be confident that you will accomplish all your holy will perfectly according to your plan and desires. So, O Lord, open our eyes that we may behold the glory of Christ. Open our ears that we may hear the truth of your word as it is proclaimed. Open our hearts and apply that which we behold and hear. And make us more into the image of Christ in whose mighty name we pray. Amen.